To what the truck? They cut the music. Cut out my ear. Yeah, Hello and welcome to what the truck. This is Dooner and uh, and that's the dude. Whew. Wow. Good Friday after uh, noon, everybody. I'm glad you said it cut out in your ear. I thought it went deaf for a second. Yeah, I did too. These are a little jarring. <laughs> Stopped right there. From the nerve center of the logistics community, Freight Alley. Good afternoon. What's on your mind today, brother? Well. A lot's on my mind. This is our Bloodlines episode, so we are going to be having families in freight. We're going to be yeah. celebrating that. Multi-generations in freight, it's going to be awesome. By the way, if you're multi-generational in freight, reach out to me. We'd love to have you on a Bloodlines episode in the future, tduner at freightwaves.com, or find me on the social, at Timothy Dooner. Um, but I was, on, I was on LinkedIn this morning, and CMA, CGM just posted this new video, right? And yeah, let's take okay. a look. James Bond, cool. he has arrived to save the day. Let's take a look. James Bond, he has <laughs> arrived to save the day, and he appears to be taking on the port crisis in no time to die. In the clip that we're looking at, you're seeing uh, some of the footage on how the producers of the movie work okay. with the terminal at Kingston Port in Jamaica, Jamaica. and uh, CMACGM to stage the stunt <sighs> where they're flying a seaplane through these gantry cranes. Apparently, the first time this stunt has ever been pulled off. It's very, very cool. And leave it to James Bond to do something ridiculous, man. You I go love see that it? stuff. I, you know I will. I'm definitely going to see it. I love James Bond. And the more ridiculous the stunt, and the, th the better. Yeah. You know, the corkscrew jump and uh, what was that? Golden, the golden man with a golden gun. Sure. I believe the ski jump and the spy who loved me. Uh, so who, who's, your, who's, your, who's your Bond? Is it Lazenby or is it Connery? Oh, Lazenby all the way. No. <laughs> Sean Connery, <laughs> bro. Sean Connery and then uh, Moore and Craig, man. I mean, Craig and Moore are pretty quick in, in my mind. Pretty tight. Good stuff. Well, hey, we've got a trucker and his son who is the president of a logistics company, a purchasing manager and his son who is a VP of global supply chain, and a uh, marine cargo insurance executive and his son who happens to be the co-host of the show, plus a driver who just hung up his keys and he's going to sing his way into retirement. But before that, we're going to celebrate Driver Appreciation Week a little bit more right after we tip the band. Autonomous trucks are coming with a huge potential windfall if you're ready to seize it. Start re-engineering your supply chain for autonomy today. Contact Locomation at, tell them, dude. Hey, go to locomation.ai for turnkey solutions immediately after this show. Hey, let's hear about what AJ Powell is doing with some million milers. We got Pete Daniker here. He's the VP of Risk and Integrated Resources at ADP. Hey, Pete, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So we were, uh, we, were, we were looking at this press release that you put out, and it was talking about a Dewey Pile and what they do in terms of safety and how you're honoring these million milers. Tell us a little bit about it. So we started keeping track of the million mile drivers probably in 2003, which shame on us because we've been in business for 97 years. Um, up to date this year, we have 25 new drivers who've hit that milestone. Um, there's 171 overall in the company. We have about 2,000 drivers. Uh, we have 23 who've hit the 2 million mile mark, and we have two that have hit 3 million miles. Uh, put their name on the truck. The uh, chairman of the board, who happens to be a third generation family owner, goes out to meet them, hand it to them, talk about it in front of the other drivers as best we can when we can get them all together. Put, um, we give them a plaque, try to give them some family recognition. In our uh, service centers, there's uh, what we call Pile TV, where we share local news. We make sure we get their picture up there. It's just, 
it, it's one of those rare opportunities we have to really honor him for a tremendous achievement, and we try to do everything we can reasonable in that direction. It's pretty amazing, especially in an LTL driver, no, Pete? Oh, it is. It's absolutely incredible. I think of my own driving record, and uh, I don't stand up. I couldn't do it. <laughs> well, yeah. I got to ask you, so we, you just said something interesting, and someone might go, why would you say for an LTL driver? So it gives a little context there. Well, an LTL well, driver, so, you're doing a lot. Oh, go ahead, Pete. You, you take, yeah. it, take it away, man. You're the professional. So uh, the, the, the backing in, for example, we, I would say 90% of our freight is on that Interstate 95 corridor between Boston, New York City. Uh, we deliver right into Baltimore. We go into the Bronx. We go into Queens. And these are roads that are designed for maybe a straight truck, uh, possibly a 40-foot trailer. We'll have drivers going in with 48 53-foot trailer, making deliveries off the road. Uh, they have to back into locations that I wouldn't want to put my car into. Mm-hmm. And, and they do it, again, day in, day out. Um, little things like they get that spidey sense of, hey, there might be something behind me. And, you know, are they going to take the time to get out and look and double-check, move it a little more, get out, look, double-check, move it a little more. Um, that's the kind of patience a professional driver has to put forward. That's what these guys do forever. Probably takes uh, – how about 12 years to get the million mile mark and uh, for an LTL driver. And, and that just doing that in those tight conditions day in and day out, particularly with COVID um, speeds are up. You know, we've been benefited a little bit as traffic congestion went down because people are working from home. But I was talking to one of our three mile, million mile drivers just yesterday, he stopped in the office and he said, Pete, I, I am telling you, people are getting crazier. They're driving faster. They're cutting in and out more. And the LTL driver is navigating that endlessly and then in a city environment. So it's, uh, it, it's, it's tough and it's tight. It is. So, Pete, how does, how does A. Dewey Pyle achieve such an accomplishment as this? I mean, three million miles for, I mean, for, for an LTL is unbelievable. But um, how, so you guys got a great track record. How are you guys doing this? You know, it, it's funny. Probably the number one thing we do is it's cultural, and it's not just, quote-unquote, the safety culture. It's how we treat people. Again, third-generation family business, getting into the fourth generation, and the number one thing that they expect all of us to do is to treat each other the way we would want to be treated. You know, I think about it. You look at some of the accidents drivers will have, and you picture a typical day when they're working hard. So they have the fight with their spouse. There's an issue with the kids. The school's sending them back home again because of COVID. They're trying to wrestle with that. Driver goes online to check their pay stub. Maybe it's not exactly right. They get into the office, pre-trip their truck. There's a light out. Might or might not be a mechanic to help them. So now they're, they're just brimming with stress before the day begins, whatever their work day is. And then the dispatcher treats them with disrespect or isn't helpful. That is someone who doesn't have the ability to focus on what they want to focus on, which is not having an accident. Nobody wants to have an accident. At Pile, you know, we, our fleet techs are going to drop everything and help the driver out. We're going to make sure the equipment is good. We're going to make sure the check is right. And we're going to treat them with the respect that we want to be treated with. And I think just coming out of the gate with that kind of caring attitude is, is really the building block to why, why we have so many good drivers. 
Pete, I mean, yeah, amazing. And you mentioned it here. I mean, the accomplishments of being a million miler is already a huge one, but yeah. retaining drivers too and, and having them, you know, it's 12 years you said it takes to make that level and keeping drivers on for that long is a huge achievement as well for ADP. Before we let you go, though, what kind of message would you like to put out there to the drivers on this Driver Appreciation Week? Hey, thank you for everything you do. This, you know, safely delivering America's goods in the kind of security environment we're in, in the COVID world, just thank you for doing it. We appreciate it, all of us. Everything I eat, this chair I sit on, the stuff in my house, a truck delivered that, and it was brought by a, a hardworking truck driver. Well, I'm going to give you a little cowbell for that one. Thank you Amen, very much, Pete. sir. Thanks for joining us this afternoon on the show. Thanks. Take care. Take it easy. All right, man. Business of families, freight, multi-generational. Let's get into it. It's our bloodlines time. We got Jason Ickert here, president of Sunwell Logistics, and his dad, Ben, who's a retired truck driver. And I'll tell you, how I first knew that these guys were, uh, how I first got the idea to, to contact these guys was uh, yeah. a picture that they posted of Jason and his dad, oh, right, cool. on social media. Jason had apparently thrown his dad back in the truck. Jason and Ben, thanks for joining <laughs> us today. Hey, my pleasure to be on with Dooner and the Dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's totally the, the honor is all ours, gentlemen. The honor is all ours. Hey, Ben, how's it going over there? You sit. Are you sitting in one of his trucks right now? Oh no, no, I'm sitting in a, a truck out here in uh, Portland, Oregon, right now, putting on a, a crane float to take up to about seventy miles north on, on I five. Oh well, beautiful. Well, we'll drive safe when you're doing it. But uh, let's start with you, Ben. How did since you started this whole family tree in trucking? I imagine unless you are, there's one above you. How did you get into freight and trucking? Well, it all started on the CB radio. Uh, after I got out of the Navy, after my first hitch, I was talking to people around San Jose where I lived and running to some truck drivers. I said, "Well, I, you know, I'd like to do that." So after my second hitch, then I uh, bought a truck. And started trucking. That was 1975. Wow. So it was, it was, uh, what was, uh, okay. <laughs> so Jason, were you taking an interest in what your dad was doing there? Well, yeah, I tell you what, uh, I oftentimes I'll tell the story about, you know, how I grew up in the, in the passenger side of a Freightliner cab over. And that's really where I spent my summers, you know, growing up. So I took an interest early on in the trucking business. I hung out with my dad on the weekends at the yard. Uh, you know, I, I was in the truck with him. Uh, and and quite frankly, you know, even uh, after I had gone to college, I figured I'd get into logistics. Um, I took a little bit of a detour for a short period of time, uh, but then found my way back to trucking in, in uh, 2007. Ben, what did you want Jason to be when he grew up? It seems like you, you wanted to be a pretty big influence having him in the truck all the time. Maybe that was out of necessity or, or need. I'm, I'm not sure. But what was your plan for him? Well, I didn't really have a plan. Uh, uh, you know, whatever he wanted to do, I supported that. And uh, he went, had a chance to go to college. So I said, OK, I'll help you go to college. And then uh, he worked summers for me during the, the college tours uh, time uh, at, at the shop where I was uh, shop foreman. And uh, he'd come down and bust tires, change oil, do maintenance and repairs for uh, for his summers. Yeah. So, Jason, how did you get into freight? You uh, you 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 joined DHL pretty quick after graduating from uh, Arizona, right, or Northern Arizona? Yeah. So after after uh, uh, living in Phoenix, basically, um, I went into retail, and I thought that that was I was going to make. Uh, a career there. And, and one of the gals that was working on, on my team was a recruiter for DHL. 
And she said, hey, you'd fit really well into what we're doing here. And so I started in logistics there and it was global. I would, you know, air freight, ocean freight, customs brokerage, uh, contract logistics all around the world. I had a great career um, with, with, with DHL up until about 2007. And that's when I came into uh, trucking. And I've worked for three different trucking companies, uh, two of them in Montreal, Canada, and most recently with Sunwell Logistics, Sunwell Transportation based in Buffalo, New York. Well, beautiful. Well, then let me ask you something. So trucking, stressful job. We were just talking about to Peter over at A. Dewey Pile, and he was talking about all, you know, all the stresses that, that go into yeah. the job and how impressive it is to be a million miler and all those things. You've had a, a, a very um, long career, but what was it like having a, a young child in the, you know, I have kids, I have young kids, they can be stressful enough. How was it having him in the cab riding with you? Spent our time together and uh, he, he sometimes said, well, yeah, I had a little fort built in a sleeper and he had his, his uh, little Hot Wheels cars. He used to play on the doghouse and we just spent time together. He even, uh, he was old enough to help me unload trailers sometimes. And, uh, one time he, uh, we got one trailer. I had full doubles at the time, got one trailer unloaded. Lunchtime came and he went to sleep in the sleeper. I had to do the second one myself. But, yeah, it was a great experience, uh, being able to spend that quality time with my son. Yeah, that's awesome. So, hey, uh, and Jason, you posted on LinkedIn that there's LinkedIn, sorry, that there's no free lunches as you uh, put your dad to work there, man. Is that is that like common when you see your dad? Hey, dad, get a truck start pulling. Well, you know what? That's what my dad taught me when I was growing up. That there's no such thing as a as as a free lunch. So he called me up and he said, "Hey, I'm I'm picking up a car for your mom out in Virginia. I, I think I'm going to stop by Buffalo and." Um, I want to see you. And I said, Dad, bring your gear bags. I go, you come to Buffalo to see me. I go, I got a truck. I got some uh, some flatbed work that I need you to do. So I, I, I put him to work. And, you know, basically my comment to him um, as we, you know, he stayed with me during that time. It was about a week and a half, two weeks. My comment to him every day was, hey, Dad, drive safe and um, don't break anything. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jason, let me ask you, before we, we move into current day, what, what's your fondest memory from growing up and, and riding along with your dad? Well, I, I, I tell you what, dad mentioned a couple of the experiences. You know, I, I spent a lot of time up and down I-5 with my dad, uh, and I, I read a lot of books and got to see a lot of a lot of California. I mean, there was a couple times where, uh, you know, I don't know if it's a fond experience, but, you know, we were on a job site one day and he told me, he goes, he goes, Jason, he goes, whatever you do, stay in the truck. And he was uh, pulling some doubles of dirt at that point in time. And I just, I just, I wanted to get out and see things. I wanted to get out and see what was going on with the, uh, uh, you know, the large earth moving equipment. And, and back in that day, we didn't have um, guards on, on the exhaust, right? So we just had straight exhaust coming up right, right behind the door. So I swung out the door and my arm caught that exhaust and, I got I got burned pretty bad. Got back in the truck and I didn't want to tell him about it because he had told me to stay in the cab. And he came back in and said, "What's what's going on?" And I I, I showed him. I said, "Dad, I, I didn't listen to you. I I got burned." And and he goes, "Okay, we'll call your mom. We'll take care of it. We'll get you to the hospital." And um, you know that was that was one of the lessons that I learned though in the truck is that you know what when somebody says something, especially from a safety standpoint. You listen to it, and and uh, you know when I was given some of those safety directions, uh, you know later on, he 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 kept bringing me in the truck, and we kept doing that. But I listened to him very closely, and I think that's something that's carried on even into my my present day. Which you know where, when we talk about how important safety is in the, in the in driving on job sites in warehouses, um, you know I, I really take that to heart. 
Excellent. So, Ben, 1975, that's about the time the movie Convoy came out, isn't it? Like every Bond era, too, he's driven through. It, it, it is. So was was that why you got into trucking and you got any stories like that? You ever run any convoys across the desert southwest? No, not any convoys, but uh, I just I wanted something to do, and trucking interests me, and I was getting out of the Navy and uh, after my second hitch, and so... Uh, I went into trucking business, and I did that for actually uh, 10 years, uh, had owned my own truck, and then uh, I went into uh, management, took a job as a terminal manager in Phoenix, Arizona, hmm. and then uh, some other jobs where I was the uh, chief dispatcher, uh, warehouse manager, the uh, shop foreman, running 100 trailers and 15 trucks uh, over the road, and, uh, and then the last job was the director of safety and maintenance. Well, let me ask you something. So since you've been driving since 75, what era was the best for, for truck driving? We always hear the 70s get very, very romanticized, yes, right? When people yes, talk about do. Troy, Heroes of the Road, all that kind of stuff, Lone Wolf. But you've been through it all. What, what's better, modern times, back in the 70s? What do you got? Uh, i, I got to kind of go to back to the old school days, uh, you know, where we had uh, real trucks and real, truck, real men driving trucks. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, t uh, twin stick transmissions and that kind of stuff. And, uh, but it was a whole different, a whole different era compared to what we have now. Uh, you know, we didn't have a, as much regulation, which is a big, big thing. We didn't have ELDs, of course, you know that. Uh, so all the all the things that we have today, we didn't have. So you were kind of just a big jippo and uh, and uh, kind of felt your own way going down the road. So, you know, Jason, things are a little bit crazy these days, right? And when you're talking to your dad, is he is he keeping you sane going through this? Saying, hey, no big deal. In 1979, we had this, that, and the other thing. <laughs> deregulation. Uh, you know? Yeah, deregulation, stuff like that. Do you, you uh, uh, is he keeping you sane through all this craziness? Well, I, I, you know what? It's 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 nothing that uh, you know guys in the business haven't seen before, right? And it's probably not the last time that um, that we're going to see some of these things. Um, you know. I do listen to my dad, you know, when he stayed with me over the course of a week and a half and he was going out and driving one of our trucks on a daily basis, he was coming back and we were sitting at the, at the dinner table and we were talking about how it was different than when, uh, when, when he was doing it and, and, and the types of things that were, are challenging us now. And, you know, we're spitballing some, you know, potential solutions about how we can make the driver experience better, how I can work with, with, with my team in order to be, uh, you know, more, more, more productive, more efficient as uh, we're running a fleet of trucks. Yeah, I was going to say, Jason, this must make you much more, this must make you a pretty good leader and much more empathetic towards the struggle and plight of drivers and delays and issues that they're facing because you personally spent so much time in the cab and you've got, you've got blood in the game. You know, I, I think that that's right, Dooner, right? So, I mean, especially coming into a company, um, I've only been with uh, someone for six months, you know, gave me a little bit of street cred, right? When when I when I let them know that, hey, I, I grew up in this trucking business. So, you know, I don't know everything about it. And I'm, I'm more than willing to learn how we're going to run this company and make it profitable, how we're going to, you know, increase the, the driver experience and make drivers want to stay with Sunwell. Um, but, you know, they've been able to, uh, to, 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 to understand that, you know, I might know a little bit about the business. And so they're a little bit more attentive to mm -hmm. things that we want to change for the better. So that's worked out well. 
Yeah, so Ben, I want to ask you this. As, as you're driving there and you're driving for your son and you're still out there driving, you see all this new tech and all these new things to make things like Dune was saying, making the experience better and helping out the, the plight of the driver, et cetera. Are there things from old school that are very simple that we've just forgotten that would make things better? The, the trucks have got much safer. Uh, the, the things that we didn't have, they have now, uh, you know, the, uh, what do they call it? The, uh, uh, where they got the warning systems, you know, for falling too close or uh, going over the lines. We didn't have that stuff. And, and so those things are all good from a safety standpoint. Um, the, some of the regulation is, yeah, it hurts us. So, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know. The, the old days, we flew, flew by the seat of our pants. Mm. It was a whole different ball game. Yeah. We don't have that uh, privilege anymore. You know, we're, we're very well, very heavily regulated. You can only do this and this and thus and so, and that, that's just it. Yeah. Hey, yeah. <clears throat> Jason, yeah, what do you think the, the biggest issue is that, we're, that we should be talking about, at least insofar as you're seeing from your desk? Matt <laughs> just started up his truck. <laughs> 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 all right do it do it safely dad don't break anything um, well back in the day they used to have to get out and hand crank that baby in the front right first time he's uh, backed into a dock on a podcast <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know I, I i i think i think one of the things that um you know that we really need to you know take a look at especially right now is is the, is the dwell time right that we have um, uh, either at a shipper at a receiver? I mean, dwell dwell time, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the killers of profitability mm -hmm. in our in our in our in our industry. And you know, because of the way that drivers are regulated, as far as uh, you know, drive time and and uh, uh, on on shift time, it's it's those types of things that we need to really be sensitive to that because if there's too much dwell time at any point in that transaction. It's going to snowball into additional problems, uh, you know, uh, both upstream and downstream for the supply chain. And so, you know, people talk about, you know, do we have enough drivers? Is there a driver shortage? Is is uh, is, it, is it just an increase in volume? But, you know, I, I like to look at are our drivers being the most efficient? Are we getting the most miles out of them each day? Um, because, you know, what? most of the, the, the drivers that I talk to, they want to drive. They'll drive. They'll drive their whole entire shift. They don't want to be sitting at a shipper or a receiver. And in a lot of cases, it's not because they want to get in the miles. In, in, in our cases of our local and regional drivers, we're not even paying to buy the miles. We're actually guaranteeing them a salary. We're paying them by the hour. And in, in that sort of a, a situation, it, it, you know, they just want to be productive. And so that's a lot of the feedback that I'm getting from them today with respect to dwell time. Yeah, I mean, it's in the blood. I mean, you, you look at Ben here. He's got that drive to drive. He's supposed oh, yeah. to be retired, but he's out here driving trucks and backing up on podcasts. Ben, you ever going to hang the keys up, or is Jason just not going to let you? Oh, I don't know. I've, I've thought about it, but, you know, uh, I, 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 I like working. I work three, four days a week. That's all I want. And then wintertime, we go to Arizona and spend some time down there. So I'm, I'm just a part-time uh, worker, you know? 
Yeah, he's beautiful. He's, he's like a big time wrestler or a, or a rock star here. The thing underneath is, and when we bring him up, it says retired trucking. I know he's not retired. I don't at all. think that's he's true driving. anymore. It's like a ruse. They're trying it's to like trick his us. fourth retirement or something. <laughs> exactly. Is that what's going on? Well, Jason, you look. I, you guys seem very proud of each other. So I'll let you deliver this message. What would you like to say to your dad and the truck drivers out there during this National Truck Driver Appreciation Week? Well, hey, yeah, thanks, Dooner. Um, you know what? For all those drivers out there, including those that um, drive for Sunwall, including my dad, thank you very much. Uh, you guys are the ones that keep the wheels of this economy going. So you are absolutely underappreciated. But from the bottom of the heart, my heart, I want to let you know that um, we are in love with you for, uh, for, for, for what you do. And um, for my dad, you know what, Dad, thank you for everything that uh, – that you've done for me in life. Thank you for, for teaching me a trade. Um, thank you for supporting me as we've gone through, you know, uh, our growth together. And I love you, man. Wow. Awesome. Wow. That was, that was powerful. A little cowbell for the, for the both of you. Hey, Ben, thank you so much for your service, not just in the military, but as a driver for five, six decades now. Amazing stuff. I know you, hopefully you find peace in retirement. It seems like you need to be behind that wheel to, to, to feel good. But uh, <laughs> thank you guys so much, man. Jason, that was an amazing uh, speech you just gave. We're, yeah, I mean. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. Well said. Great. Amen. Yeah. Hey, Jason, before we so let you go. Time, how did, most of the time. Oh, go right. Most of the time I'm, uh, I, uh, I'm hauling logs up here in the Pacific Northwest out of the forest to the mills. But I'm doing a little fill-in work for a friend of mine. But uh, normally I'm just hauling logs, having a great time out in the forest. Seeing all the natural stuff. Awesome. I don't blame you. Well, awesome. Ben, take in that natural air. And Jason, uh, what was the website so people want to connect with you and hear more about Sunwell? Where, where do I send them? Right. So if you want to connect with us on, at Sunwell, it's www.sunwelllogistics.com. And, uh, of course, you can find me on uh, LinkedIn, uh, Jason Eckert, I-C-K-E-R-T. Thank you so much. Awesome take stuff. it easy. Wow. They were great. So, so he's, just, he's taking it easy hauling logs. Take it is easy, that man. like the That's hardest thing to haul? I know, don't you have to tarp and those whole those that like, put the bands all over those isn't things? Isn't that like one of the more dangerous things to haul? Yeah. Well, hey, we got another pair of father and son coming up now. It's John D. Riser. He's a VP of Global Supply Chain over at the Cannon Group. And his dad, Jim Riser Sr., who is a retired purchasing manager. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us on What the Truck this afternoon. Good afternoon. How you doing? What's going on, man? So what, what's great is, John, I'm so happy you uh, reached out when you saw me talking about these, these Bloodlines ones. And uh, yeah. I think your sister even posted about it on LinkedIn. She was excited to see you guys on here. And I love that it's, it's sort of all in the family. But, hey, let's start with your dad. Dad, Jim, how did you get into the, uh, how did you get into the business? Pardon uh, me? How did you get into freight? How did you start in the business? Uh. Most of my career is in the aircraft industry in purchasing. I had a total of 53 and a half years of service. And, that, and in that scope, I just about did everything from the bottom on up to my position as manager of the Pacific Aircraft Company. Uh, during that time, I worked for four different companies. North American Aviation, which became Rockwall International, Chrysler Corporation in Michigan, North Corporation, Harfon, well, I'll just say California, 
and snow aviation here in Plumas. They all were different. However, there was only one company, and that was Rockwell, where everything was taken consideration when you review all aspects of purchasing policies. they were able to, the buyer had the responsibility of not only going out for quotes, place it, but also accountability of how the parts were processed. And if they had to make visits, they did to assure they will meet the delivery date as noted on the purchase order. Right Most of these companies, other than Rockwell, and of course, I have to say snow aviation it is more like Rockwell. But the other two, you had different department, I should say different groups responsible. The buyer would place it. Then it goes to another group who checks the process of any uh, placement. Then that is passed on to another group who is responsible to keep accountability how the parts are being processed. And what on the various machines required to fabricate the parts. Then, subsequently, they give it to another group in case the supplier recommends or say we thought we have to add changes. We they issue an EO, which is an engineering order. There they request sometimes for more money. However, you have to look at that very specific because in most cases it's just a process how to to assure that they will meet the delivery dates. Therefore, at any additional cost is not required. But a lot of these uh, agents, they don't realize that. You're losing money. So they need a system. Can you imagine having that job now? Yeah, it's a tough aviation. I came up with a traceability of everything that's being processed and where they are located and and see where they'll meet the requirement. However, I may have to come up with a recovered that, to assure that we can have a revised delivery, but still it in the range to support the schedule. Hey, what's your dog's that, name? Who's this? Who do we hear barking in the background? Who's what's your dog's name? Hey, Jim, what's your dog's name over there? Jim, we hear a dog. Who's the dog in the background? Hello, I can't hardly hear you. Oh, it's okay. Hey, John. John, did you? So, how did you get? Did you take an interest in what your dad was doing growing up? Did you want to be something else? Did you know? Because you are also a purchasing manager, so it must run in the family. But did you find that path right away? No, it actually uh, was kind of just happened. Uh, we didn't even realize until maybe five years after I was in the industry that we were, you know, in purchasing together. Um, he was pretty much at the end of his uh, career when I was entering mine. I actually graduated in health service administration, which was basically I could run a hospital. And uh, soon after graduating college, went into uh, work for a company that I had interned with in supply chain and uh, was with them for 10 years and then uh, ventured out on my own, uh, worked for a Zippo manufacturing company, lighter company, and then worked for a, 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 a e-commerce company called Trademark Global and was asked to come back to Canon Group back in uh, 2020, right at the beginning of the, of the pandemic. Yeah, so John, you you talked to your your, your dad about uh, you know the the recent times right now and how difficult it is for you, and he just tells you, yeah, we've never seen anything like this before. It's really tough on you, son. Or, or is he, yeah, is he talking about how he went to school uphill both ways in the snow with no shoes, that type of stuff? 
You got the Rockwell exactly story. Exactly both. You, it's like you've been in our conversations. <laughs> um, yeah. He grew up in, uh, in uh, Missouri, so, you know, it, it was six feet of uh, snow uphill, uh, you know, 10-mile walk both ways. Yeah. Well, um, so we, well, let me ask you, Dad, something. did you want him to get into purchasing, or were you like, avoid this life? Don't, don't join the gang life of purchasing. Stay out of it. Or were you yeah. like, this is a great career path. Come on. Um, I, my interpretation of that is that I felt that it was a specific feel that he should uh, look into and, ha- and I knew, based on similarities, he had the capability to be a good manager and perform what it was required to meet the requirements and required. Yeah. So, what, let me tell you, what was it about your your career that you, you thought it was it, it was it was something that he should look into? What was the most gratifying part of it? Your best stories. My, I would say, I was more as a troubleshooter. Where the, where the problems were, I was requested to review it, come up with a solution, and to make it satisfactory uh, to all concerned. I enjoyed that in all the different companies. Sure, I was ahead of different groups, but my objective was to support the company in resolving and come up with a simple solution satisfactory for all concerned. Wow, very serious, like, logistician, too. Like, you parachute him into the problem, and he's just going straight at it. He's not side-talking over here or getting distracted or all that stuff. This must have been a pretty big influence on you, John. What did you take away from it? Um, I took quite a bit. Like, you know, so so, to give you a little quick history, I mean, we come – it's a large family. So we've got – I've got six sisters and a brother. So, you know, right there is a supply chain uh, (laughs) industry. Wow. Purchasing. Uh, so my dad did a, great, did a great job in supporting uh, our family. And um, just from like takeaways from him is, you know, he's always been direct. Uh, he's always, you know, quick to the point. Uh, he's always, always finding solutions. One story like that he tells is where he had to uh, basically charter a jet to get a part sent uh, to a, a factory for production um, against, you know, not asking any of the superiors at the time, just went and did it. So I take that and that's, that's kind of where, you know, I, I, I pretty much uh, am identical to that. You know, I, like he likes to troubleshoot. I like to troubleshoot as well. Um, those are things that I think that we have in common where we're both looking for the problem and trying to find a solution for it. And well, it's he, been one of those where, you know, just growing up in life uh, in the family, that's how it's been. You know, there's you find that uh, that problem and you got to find a, a solution, especially when you have, you know, seven siblings. I, you know what, though? You, like, you know. I got to say, Jim, you're portraying yourself with this sort of very straight-laced company guy, but then your son over here is telling me that you like to sometimes take the reign in your own hands. Oh, right, he's a rebel, like, man. This is my war. I'm taking control. Um, how, how often were you doing <laughs> stuff like that? Uh, quite a bit. <laughs> but management, but they knew that I had the capability in resolving problems. That's my expertise. So they always let me do it, and then I would write a report, trip report, Anything I did, if I went out or in in the plant and submitted it to the director, who in turn gave it to the president, and that. And I had situations where I had to go down Florida on one occasion and remove everything from a source. And thank God I wrote something because then they sue that individual, you know, that company. But the pr- president thanked me because that saved them from being sued. 
because I had the specific information to account for every little thing I did. Yeah. So, uh, John, I want to ask you this. Why 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 do you think it is that this this industry attracts uh, the next generation in a family to get it to get into it? It's the same thing like with my kids. I have two kids now and I, I preach to them supply chain probably on a daily basis where, you know, now I'm the, the annoying father figure. Uh, mm-hmm. But it just it touches everything that we do. Um, I find it fascinating. And, and I hope that like from what my dad has said and from what I tell my children is, you know, I make it more of it. It's enjoyable to me. Uh, so supply chain has always been uh, I've been doing it now for 21 years. So I enjoy, you know, every challenge that comes to us on a daily basis, be it, you know, the current freight situation last year with COVID situation, uh, the year before was China tariffs. So every year, you know, you've got a different new problem that you have to deal with. And I think by showing um, our children, you know, the excitement that we have in the job that we're doing and the accomplishments that we get from what we're doing, and the, it, it's, it's gratifying. So I think that we convey that to our children and therefore, you know, they see that it's a, it's a good position to be in. Supply chain is always going to be around, you know, it's evolved, but it's always going to be around where regardless of, of where it's evolved to, we're still going to need it. We're still going to need, you know, product coming from a different location to, you know, the, the end consumer. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, so next generations out there, right? You've joined the fold. You mentioned your kids. What would you tell them about joining, uh, getting a career, whether they're multi-generational or not? Why should they consider being coming, getting into purchasing? Um, you know, I, I speak to my kids frequently about it now, just because with the daily challenges that we're seeing with freight, you know, I'm telling them, you know, we got to start our Christmas shopping now because there's going to be nothing on the shelves. Um, <laughs> or I tell them about, oh, you know, today they're like, what'd you do at work today, dad? I said, well, I dealt with more freight. And they're like, how many ships are backed up? You know, they've yeah. got that in their, in their kind of a mindset now because I, I speak about it so often. Um, I just encourage them to get into it. You know, I, I, I'm happy to see whatever they want to get into. You know, I, I don't push supply chain, um, but I, if they get into it, it's, I tell them it's a great field to get into because it touches everything that we touch. Um, it's always going to be around. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a good career from it. Uh, had a great, lot of great relationships, been around the world. You know, I tell them that as well. You know, I've traveled around the world frequently. Um, so get to experience different countries and cultures. Uh, which I would have never thought about, you know, at that age. So I, I just try to push, you know, supply chain is something that everyone needs. But again, it's not something that I'm, I definitely want them to, I'm not asking them, you know, saying that, please, please get into it. It's, you yeah. know, if, if you like it, do it. If you don't, you know, I understand. Well, yeah, because if you push them, they wouldn't they wouldn't do it anyway. But one thing you no. can say, I mean, to make supply chain cool, and I always try to tether stuff into pop culture, but one of the best examples you can point to is Apple's Tim Cook. He was with Compaq on their supply chain first. He was with IBM for 12 years dealing with their supply chain. And then he dealt with Apple's supply chain before becoming the new CEO of yeah, the company. And, true. you know, he's driven them to, to record numbers. CSEO, chief supply chain officer, obviously going to become a huge job. And look, the barrier to entry is still low. There's still not that many universities that have dedicated supply chain programs. It's the kind of place you can go in. Maybe you didn't start out immediately in supply chain. You were messing around for a couple of years. You can then jump into this field and grow a career relatively quickly still. Absolutely. And yeah. it's one of those it's one of those careers and it's one of those things that you absolutely a solid knowledge in it leads you in business in any aspect you go into business. Yeah. Knowledge of supply chain and being able to do it is is incredibly important. Well, Jim, thank yeah, you I mean, so much for for joining us on this one. And John, before we let you go, how about you give a little message to the drivers out there on this truck driver appreciation week? So, yeah, I want to thank all the drivers from the truck OTRs, the Dre. I mean, we count on them daily. I know that they're going through, uh, you know, 
a terrible time in terms of uh, basically congestion right now. Um, I just want to say how much we appreciate what they do on a day-to-day basis. You know, without them, we wouldn't be able to get our products to to our warehouses or to the end consumers or to the, you know, the final consumer in their hand. Um, they're doing a great job. I hope that they stay safe on the roads. And, uh, you know, I hope this clears up and gets better sooner than later. And I do yeah. want to say uh, to, to the dude, go Bucks. Yeah, go Buckeyes, my friend. I, I saw, see, I the, see tra- the truck back there, man. I go see Buckeyes. the OU trailer right. behind you. <laughs> also, you got to bring those. The truck drivers have to bring those Christmas gifts for uh, for the the twenty seven or one hundred twenty seven people in, in here in the family fold that you guys have going on. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. A little cowbell for the both of you. Hey, thank you one more time. Thanks for joining us on air. Thanks Where do they us. go check you out at the Cannon Group? How what's uh, what's the web address? So you can go to uh, our website is sanic, S-A-N-E-C-K dot com. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. You'll see me on there daily uh, complaining about today's uh, freight issues that we're seeing. Cool, man. <laughs> Take it easy and good luck out there dealing with it all. Peace, guys. Enough. Peace. All right. Now it's time to bring someone else on. It is. Can I do the honors here? Do the honors. I, I really am honored for this one. This is going to be interesting, and it's going to be great for me because I do respect you. You're interviewing you. us. I am going honor. to interview you and Mr. Jerry Dooner, 40 years in maritime in cargo insurance. Jerry, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm doing awesome. Hey, so for, in the interest of keeping this this less confusing, can I call you Jerry or Papa Dune? No, Jerry's a lot better. Okay. Papa Dune, God, please. Hey, I like a cookie. I like the hat. They're sitting over. They're sitting at their place in Cape Cod right now. When I was in, when I was on vacation. Oh, sweet! All right, okay, that's awesome. So, forty years in marine cargo industry, uh, Jerry. Uh, was this your calling from the very beginning? How did you slide into that uh, sweet gig? Well, um, when I got into the Air Force, I was looking for a job, and um, I ended up going to a headhunter in downtown Manhattan, and they told me there's a company by the name of Royal Globe Insurance Company that's looking for a marine claims adjuster. First off, I had no idea who Royal Globe was to begin with. And uh, a marine claims adjuster, what the hell is that? You adjust marines? <laughs> so they said no, but, you know, it sounds like an interesting place. Why don't you go over and talk with them? And I did, and, uh, you know, I like what they had to say. And, uh, you know, it had a lot of fascination to me because in school I liked geography, and it was about things coming from all going, – going to and coming from all parts of the world. So um, – they jumped right in. That's awesome. You know, it seems like it's an industry where you accidentally find out how cool it is. Yeah. I would you know so. what I'm saying? Well, anything insurance, yeah. Well, yeah, insurance. <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you don't normally think insurance is very cool. But, I mean, just the marine and the logistics and, and, and that type of stuff is, is stuff that you just accidentally figure out is good. How did you figure out, Tim? Were you taking an interest in what your dad was doing? Or You know, what's funny is, like, when I was a kid, my dad, he worked a lot. He, he had a very prominent role over Roanoke Insurance. He worked between the Boston and New York office. So, um, and back then, he had, like, commute. He would take the train into work. So yeah. he would be gone really early, and he'd get back pretty late. And as you get older, you realize, like, wow, this is a really exhausting job. Yeah. He must have had back then. You couldn't do all these remote meetings and stuff. So he would have to, like, literally meet people in downtown Boston and, and come home. So initially, no, I was like, I don't want to do anything like what my dad is doing. I want to be around home more often and that kind of stuff. But I think I was maybe 14 and I had to interview him for a school project. And oh, okay. then I sort of found out about his military background. I got to learn a lot about my dad in that particular interview. And then there was another situation where I had to get a car up to California when I was going off to college. And he was like, oh, I know some freight forwarders. And then I, I started to know a little bit more about his world. But it wasn't until I moved. Um, it's funny. I moved to California. They followed me. Then I pulled a switcheroo and I moved 
moved back to Boston. <laughs> and I, needed, I ran out of money after a few months, and I couldn't hit this guy up anymore. You know, I was like, look, I said I was going to Boston, and I kind of, I'm not going to say I left California in a huff, but I was kind of like, I'm going to go do my own thing. And um, I, I needed a job. You said this guy, Bob Keneally, he has a job at a brokerage. I didn't know what that meant, but I need health insurance. And even though it was three trains away and a, and a long walk, and I didn't have a car for years in Boston, wow. I took the job and got trapped in the Roach Motel. There you go. So, but what were you, what did you want to be when you were growing up? A rock star. I mean, that's why I was out in okay. California, I got right? You. Or at least a performer, I guess. More I, cowbell. Kind of it took a you, while to get here. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Excellent. So, Jerry, what did you want him to be when he was growing up? Were you pushing him into the industry or were you just supportive? What did, what did you want him to be when he was growing up? No, I, did, I didn't push him into the industry. I think uh, I just wanted him to be successful and happy. You know, I think as most parents uh, want and, uh, you know, wherever course he was going to go, that was fine with me. Yeah. But, you know, things weren't working out for him at the, in the music business out in California. And so when he returned to uh, Boston and we subsequently followed not too long after that, maybe a year or so after that. Uh, and I was at a, it might've been sooner actually. And I was at a uh, meeting with Bob Keneally and told him my son was looking for a job. Bob, uh, had a significant, uh, position at the FedEx uh, Trade Networks in Boston. And he said, well, what? I guess I told him my son has no experience, but he'll mm -hmm. work hard for you and do a good job. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, get, you want to talk to him? And he said, sure. So that's how that's how uh, he got into the business. <laughs> yeah, awesome. and then you know I got I I got paid like I had no experience too. Um, so, <laughs> no, but FedEx is a great so, company. Yeah. I recommend that anytime I get asked about FedEx Trade Networks, I always recommend it to people who are new to the business because yeah. their training is so good and, yeah. and so comprehensive. But one of the reasons I stuck in I I, I stayed in this business yeah. and. And I'm even here now is because of my dad. Um, it, it, not only did he help me get that initial job, but then later in my career, 2016 was a, was an awful year. And if you saw our insiders, I, I talked a little bit about it. But I was I had been struggling with alcoholism for years. Yeah, um, I had an injury and I had a, an issue with, with 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 some other stuff. Um, I had a problem with depression. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, we had a kid on the way. I almost lost my house due to Oof. not having any money. Just bills pouring in. Had lost that sales job. And um, you know, my dad supported me when I wanted to go into yeah. rehab for the the mental health thing. He helped me get out of some of that debt and he kind of set me on the path that I've been on ever since. So first of all, dad, I want to thank you very much for that one. Yeah. No, you're welcome. You're my son. Yeah. I need to take care of you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and watching Dooner versus Dooner, right. Yeah. When you, you interview your first live, uh, in your studio, your first live podcast coming back from the COVID and everything like that in your new studio, your turn, it's quite obvious that you take a lot of pride in your dad. You're very proud of your dad. Right. And he's sure. someone you look up to very much. Did you realize that as you were growing up or when was that realization? Was it helping you through your struggles? Like you just mentioned, or when was that, that man, my dad is a hell of a guy. You know, well, I mean, I wasn't necessarily a latchkey kid, but it was the 80s. You know, you'd yeah. come home from school and your parents both worked. Well, and free-range uh, parenting, I grew up in yeah. that area, too. I mean, my dad worked a lot. So, yeah. again, when I'm a kid, we had a much different relationship because he's just sort of like this, sure. like, don't don't let me tell your father, kind of like uh, more sort of authoritarian. We go on, like, vacations and stuff sure. like that. We go out to games and on weekends. But um, he had to work a lot. So uh, our relationship didn't really develop more until I, I could understand that. Like, I started working as well. And in hindsight, I also empathize and understand much more about you know the, the the early years and what went into a job like that it's you know my dad though he got into remote work i remember like during the pandemic people were like uh how are we going to do remote work now you are doing remote work in like nine when did you start doing remote for roanoke uh 2003 yeah because um you know we were downsizing some operations 
and they wanted to eliminate the uh, Boston office, just have like a salesperson there. And certainly I wasn't going to react in a salesperson uh, position uh, in, in the office there. So um, I went, I went to uh, my boss and I said, look, I think it'd be a good idea if I just moved to California. So what the heck are you going to do in California? <laughs> I said, well, my kids live out in California for one thing. I said, two, you know, we have cell phones now. We have computers and things. And uh, I'm going to keep my house in uh, Massachusetts uh, for now. And I'll leave a car there. So, you know, it's not going to be that costly for me to go back and forth. And I'll come back every month for like uh, three days to a week at a time. And I'll visit, you know, other other clients from uh, from California as well. So and yes, so I was talking with people on the phone and sending emails and things like that way back then. So I guess it was a precursor to what exists today, which obviously, though, this is much more advanced, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visionary and working remote. It's it's awesome. So, uh, you know, Jerry, you, Dooner talks about, Tim talks about, uh, you know, the, the some of the struggles that he had in, in coming out of that, the sales positions when he was in, in uh, logistics, et cetera. And then he comes out of it and he says, you know what? Hey, I'm going to be a podcaster. What was that like? What was your what was your <laughs> thought there? Like, ay vey, it's me. What, what am we doing here? <laughs> it, 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 I was a little leery about it at first, but I thought about it because, uh, he, he went to um, uh, the college in, in California. That was how he ended up out there and uh, in Valencia. Um, and Cal what? Cal Arts, California Institute of the Arts. Yeah, Cal Arts. Yeah, I was searching for the name. That's a, a memory lapses here and there. Anyway, uh, Cal Arts. And, you know, his background was in, in uh, that kind of stuff. He learned a lot about how to operate different uh, instruments and stuff in the industry. And uh, said, well, maybe this could work out. And, and you know, he was using the knowledge that he gained in the field of logistics. So, uh, I mean, it kind of came together. Yeah, well, I mean, also what I told him is I was like, look, I need a way to have sort of a living resume. There's not really any podcasts that are are trying to do it at the level I was doing it at. And maybe this would be a marketing opportunity. I wanted a marketing job. Nobody would hire me because I didn't have marketing experience. So yeah, it was kind of impossible. So I just kind of had to, like, make up my own uh, – my own job. Um, Dad, thank you so much for your support through uh, all this time. It is Thank a Trucker Week. Would you like to say something to all the truckers out there? Yeah, I want them to stay safe, as the uh, the former guy that was on there said uh, about them. I think they do an amazing job. I went to that website, by the way, that uh, you had a guest on from C.H. Robinson yes. about the St. Christopher Fund and stuff and going in there and support them. So I did that because they said they were going to donate some money. And uh, I think I think that's a really great cause. They they really need the help. You know what's really Absolutely. cool too. I, I know I've mentioned on here, but now that I have you on, one of the things that my that my dad does, and, and of his own will, is after every show, after he watches each one, he he texts me like a review of, of the guests and everything. And he's always a little bit harder on the uh, insurance people, but I, I always because <laughs> it's hard not to, right? It's your it's your background. You you're like, yeah, oh, that's not right. I'll be looking forward to his review of himself. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, I don't want to jinx it, but congratulations on boosting the house in Boston. I will miss it, but you'll be even closer down in North Carolina. So as soon as you get down there, we'll be seeing you soon as well. One more time. Thank you, Dad. Yeah, you're welcome. Nice to finally talk to you, Michael. Hey, peace and love, Jerry. Take it easy. Love you, Dad. Take yeah. it easy. All right, now let's get a message. We've been thanking the truck drivers with all these different messages. Here's a yeah. thank you message from our next guest. Let's roll the tape. Hi, everybody. It's Nate and Bob the Truck and Dog. We wanted to take a chance to 
talk to everybody and say hi. She probably heard that Bob retired to the backyard and I took a local job. But we wanted to let everybody know how thankful we were for all the help everybody's given us over the last couple of years. We've been just about everywhere. Maxi Flats up into Canada and reefer vans down into Florida and spent a couple days even at Tijuana waiting for a customs problem. I'm sure a lot of you have run into that before. Good times. Anyway, we've uh, met so many great people and had so many good times. And as you saw in Bob's pictures, we saw just beautiful country from sea to shining sea, as they say. Want to thank everybody and wish you all the best for all you guys and gals that are keeping it moving across the country. And we'll definitely be in touch. We'll still be around doing our trucking songs and keeping in touch with Dooner and the Dude. And we can't thank you guys enough. So best of luck to everybody and God bless and stay in touch. Thank you. Hey, we're here to stay in touch with Nate Lewis. Nate, why did Bob retire to the backyard and why did you hang up the keys, brother? Hi, how you doing? What's happening, man? Oh, living the dream as usual. Good to talk to you guys again. So why did why did so why is uh why is Bob retiring to the backyard and why'd you hang up the keys? Oh, uh, you know, enough years in, I loved it and that, but there comes a point at which you gotta get home and be part of the family too, you know. Bob was missing the border collies and I was missing the wife and kids, so so we're home now. Ah, well, that's excellent. That's as good a reason as I can ever think of, right? That would be mine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, so Nate, uh, all the years reflecting back on, on, on your career there, what are some of the moments or the moment that stands out most to you? Oh, God, there were many. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd be hard to pick just one, but yeah, definitely a moment I mentioned where I got down to Tijuana with a load of potatoes, the paperwork was wrong, and I got to sleep there in front of the border fence for a night. That was fun. <laughs> there were there were so many good ones too, you know. God, you just can't count them. God, the people you meet and the people I've had, you know, I've had coffee with people in probably about forty states, and that's a chance you'd never get anywhere else, you know. Yeah, so it was it was the whole experience overall is what I'm gathering from you, right? Meeting all the different people, like you said, seeing the country from sea to shining sea and from border to border, et cetera, and beyond. Well, where, where should drivers make a destination to when they're driving through? You know, you you take Bob around with you. You've had all these wonderful pictures uh, with him at these different locations, like he's the roaming gnome. So where would you say would be a good place for a driver to bring their dog? Oh, well, dog-friendly spots. Uh, you know, Bob, he wasn't too picky. Any of the loves with a dog park he liked. Uh, <laughs> man, it seemed like all like Missouri, Illinois, some of those states had really good rest areas for him. And then... Uh, I couldn't get him inside, but the, the big Texas steak ranch in Amarillo was probably my favorite stop. And then Bob enjoyed the leftovers when I got back. <laughs> I bet he did. I you saw him in front of like a piece of salmon or something that you were cooking in your cab. I took a picture off your LinkedIn. I know you're on phone, so you can't, you can't see it. Are, are you usually feeding him the good food, or does he just get stuck with kibble? Oh, no, he eats better than I do. He's, he's a little bit spoiled, I think you might say. <laughs> <laughs> he might be. So what's next for, for you, Nate? I took a local job. I'm a, I'm going to be delivering and selling a propane and industrial gases up here in western Montana so I can stay a little closer to home. Still use my CDL a little bit, though, so that'll be good. Yeah, so are those offers pretty pretty good? I know that the, the over-the-road truck driving industry is having a lot of trouble right now because of, I mean, it's, they already have a hard enough time keeping drivers, but a lot of the uh, final mile jobs that are coming out, too, local delivery, sprinter van jobs, a lot of those are starting to become a lot more attractive. Oh, that's how I got into this. I, this, I looked at these type of jobs in our area, uh, you know, over the last several years I've been watching them. They're paying double what they were two or three years ago. That's why I was able finally to pull the trigger and come home, you know. 
Yeah, the trucking industry really has to be mindful of that and, and keep it that really in does. mind right now. They are trying to compete with costs. Maybe that are, are a little bit older. I know you're hearing about the bonuses, but it's the salaries that got to go up too. I mean, we see a lot of this stuff. It's Truck Driver Appreciation Week. We hear a lot of this talk about what, what should we do, hand a truck driver a bottle of water. How about we do something about detention? How about we do something about yeah. clarity of driver yeah, pay? Exactly. How about we do something about making the oh. job one that people want to stay in? But you know what? You know what, Nate? We, we saw someone, we saw a dad on here earlier. We saw Jimmy. He, had, he, he hung up the keys, but he's back in the truck. Oh, yeah. He won't, he yeah. won't leave. Or ben, I'm sorry. It was Ben. Yeah, he won't right. get out of the truck. <laughs> he won't do it. Well, Nate, I know yeah. you, you wrote an encore song, a send-off performance for your driving. Hey, video team, hit the music. <laughs> so much man thank you for thank you for your time driving on the road thank you drivers for this drivers national Dri truck driver appreciation week try to take some real action this time download the freightways tv app you can watch this stuff on your ios your android whatever you stick into that hdmi you can find this show wherever you find podcasts just like a what the truck or if you want a full trailer load of podcasts 
Just look up Freightcast to get every single Freeware's podcast all on one feed. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find me at Vincent the Dude. Tell him how to be. Hey, peace and love, everyone. 